Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show, Life, Love, and Liberty. For those of you who are with us today live streaming, welcome. I'm new to the whole live streaming thing, and I love it because I love hearing from you guys. But if you're not and you are listening via podcast, I wanted to record this for you as well today because this is a very special honor for me to have this young man on my show today. (laughs) Kind of busted my chops for not having him on my show yet. (laughs) So I'm really glad he did. But uh, yeah, so exciting times here. Uh, We seem to be on the eve of World War III, although it's not kinetic here stateside. Uh, There seems to be plenty going on abroad. So what better person uh, to bring on with me today than Mr. Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read your bio, and you're just going to have to sit here through it. You ready? <laughs> because it's so imp- it's so impressive. So I, I have to, because you really are just an, a, a remarkable man. I mean, wow. Okay. Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Robert Patterson. Uh, United States Air Force retired as a former Republican congressional candidate in the California 7th District. Military combat pilot. Distinguished White House military aide, we're going to get to that, best-selling author, popular conservative public speaker, and TV talk show host. Among Patterson's literary efforts include two New York Times bestsellers, Dereliction of Duty and Reckless Disregard. His most recent books include War Crimes and Conduct Unbecoming. Patterson served 20 years as a pilot on active duty in the United States Air Force and saw tours of duty worldwide, including combat operations in Grenada, Bosnia, the Persian Gulf, Somalia, Rwanda, and Haiti. From 1996 to 1998, Colonel Patterson was military aide to President Bill Clinton. During that time, he served at the right hand of President and Mrs. Hillary Clinton and was responsible for the President's emergency satchel, otherwise known as the nuclear football. The black bag with the nation's nuclear capability that accompanies the president at all times. As such, Patterson had an office and a bedroom in the White House and accompanied the first family at all times. In addition, Colonel Patterson was operational commander for all military units assigned to the White House. Wow, which included Air Force One, Marine One, Camp David, and the White House Transportation Agency. It was during these years that Colonel Patterson, disgusted and appalled with what he'd personally witnessed in the Clinton White House, developed his conservative vision. Today, he believes in restoring our nation's constitutional principles and returning our nation to its rightful place as the, quote, shining city on a hill. Among his many military commendations, Patterson received the Defense Superior Service Medal for Accomplishments while at the White House and was awarded the Air Force Air Medal for Flying Combat Support Missions during the Bosnian War 1994. He retired in 2001 to pursue a career as a writer, consultant, and conservative speaker. He's frequently requested public speaker with appearances at UC Berkeley, 
University of North Carolina, St. Louis, Pepperdine, UCSB, and the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Oh my gosh, he's everywhere. He's a frequent guest on talk shows across the country, including television appearances on Sean Hannity. We won't hold that against you. CBS Morning News, Fox and Friends, Hardball with Chris Matthews, The Dennis Miller Show, C-SPAN's Book Notes, and MSNBC. Patterson was born in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He is a distinguished graduate from the Air Force Command and Staff College. He has his bachelor's degree in political science, oh my goodness, uh, from Virginia Tech University and a master's in business administration from Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri. He and his wife and their three children currently reside in California. Welcome to the Monica Matthews Show, sir. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much, Monica. It's about time you had me. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. I know it is. Now I can add. Now I can... (laughs) I can now I can add you to the bio. Wow. I am so honored. Thank you. Yes, you can add me to your bio. Sure. That is amazing. I mean, you are just talk about a renaissance man. I mean, you've done it all. And so when when I got your uh when I got your little poke uh my, in my Twitter DMs, I was like, what have I been thinking? First of all, I've been running around nuts trying to get this whole live stream thing down. I'm making the transition from hiding behind my microphone only uh, to coming out into the public more on camera. And I'm and as I'm making my list of guests, you were actually on it. You just didn't know that yet. So welcome, sir. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You know, here's what I, here's kind of the, the plan of action for our time together. Um, if you want to go back to the beginning, uh, you know, I took some time today to watch some of your uh, videos of the past explaining your relationship to politics prior to you becoming this distinguished person who's holding literally the world's lives in your hands uh, at any given moment with regard to the nuclear football uh, during the uh, Clinton administration. Just some of the things that you saw there that shaped your um, politics and probably more of a partisan nature. If you want to go back there and uh, start there and then move your way forward through the uh, Obama administration and, and bring us to where we are now and where in the world do you think we're going? Well, yeah, it's a crazy time for sure, Monica. So uh, in a nutshell, I, I uh, was the son of an Air Force officer and pilot. Uh, I became an Air Force officer and pilot. Um, flew around the world um, in my 20 years, visited or was involved in or or deployed to 69 countries um, over my 20 years, uh, saw combat around the globe, actually, um, probably most significantly Bosnia and the Persian Gulf. Uh, in 1995, uh, I was contacted by the White House, and this is a true story, by the way. I was a squadron operations officer uh, in Northern California, Air Force squadron operations officer, and the phone in my office rang, and I answered it. So a flying squadron is a lot like a a college fraternity. Mm -hmm. So I answered the phone, and the the voice on the other side of the line said it was the White House, and they wanted me to fly out, interview uh, for a a position with uh, the White House president. President Clinton, I thought it was the guys down the hall, so I hung up. Uh, you know, <laughs> the quintessential movie scene, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so then the phone, then the phone rang again, and it was in fact the White House, and I flew out and um, to DC. And it's not a job you can apply for. Uh, 
it's uh, they 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 go through the Department of Defense database, I guess. And I was one of six candidates that they uh, had contacted and wanted to interview. And so I flew out and interviewed and um, was uh, fortunate enough, I guess, unfortunate and fortunate at the same time uh, to be hired uh, by the Clinton administration. I went to work for President Clinton in May of 1996 and carried the nuclear football that carried the the black satchel um and it was interesting so i was there wherever he went i went um i had an office in the white house and a bedroom in the white house and i went with uh, on marine one with him and and air force one with him and vacations with him and um and you're right it's a very awesome responsibility right so you so the president has i know we're going to talk about the nuclear codes here in a bit um and his his malfeasance there but so the president has a credit card size document which is in fact the nuclear codes and then he has a military aid or ergo me that has the this large black satchel which is um officially called the president's emergency satchel but military guys being military guys we nicknamed it to be the football because we were always carrying it Mm -hmm. and i became that guy the air force guy for two years and again lived in the white house and was around them 24 7. and prior to that as an air force officer and pilot i was just i was you know politically agnostic i i was apathetic Mm -hmm. i didn't didn't really care and then my two years uh being around bill and hill uh, I saw a lot of things that were really troubling. So when I left the White House, I was a confirmed Republican conservative. And then when I retired <laughs> from the Air Force in 2001. And All it takes is a couple of me. nights with Hillary and Bill to make, to make the jump. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it was probably about it was probably about a week in into my two years that I realized, wow, hey, this, is, this is a clown act. Yeah. yeah. Well, something you said in one of your speeches was no two days were the same. And I thought, wow, how congruent yeah. is that with like the entire party, right? So yeah, that that jumped it out is. at me. Yeah, yeah, and and it's true. And it's you know you can still see the Clintons today, and no two days are the same with the Clintons. I mean, they don't have to be in power. I mean, right? Uh, they're behind the scenes pushing a lot of buttons, but uh, it's true. And uh, I learned a lot about uh, I learned a lot from the Clintons about politics. Um, they're they have a tremendous machine. They they had a tremendous machine, but they will also go to any depths whatsoever to maintain power, to seize power, to enhance their ego, to enhance their pocketbook. Uh, they are they are the lowliest uh, human beings that I've ever been associated with. Well, you got to call... The, another thing I found interesting is you... First of all, let's back up to something. You were nonpartisan, right? And, and many people... Um, right. So, so I... I, I I can relate to that because I've been a writer for politicians for the better half of 20 years. Um, but I've generally speaking for the first, uh, probably seven of those, I was completely apolitical. Uh, admittedly, sadly, right. I was not even voted. I was not registered to vote until Obama's first term. And yes, I have already admitted about a hundred thousand times on my show that I did vote for him the first time because I was not voting for John McCain. Uh, and of course, by the second time around, I realized my grave error and, uh, and, and jump ship. Um, but it helped me at the time to stay neutral so that I could make decisions that needed to be made that were not based on partisanship. I, I don't know that anyone right. in this day and age, what's really scary, uh, Buzz, is that someone in your position then now, 
you know, how, how nonpartisan are they? Like, what are we doing with, I refer to him affectionately as applesauce in the white house, no disrespect to the, to the office, but he's, someone's not home. Right. And so whenever I think about the nuclear codes, yes, we can talk about that in a moment. But I think to myself, wow, we're completely weaponized in terms of parties. And this is scary as hell to think about who has the codes and who would have to take an order from their commander in chief. Well, that's a great question. It's a very uh, it's a very sobering question. And I can tell you how I personally handled it with President Clinton. I um you know, if you're a military officer, you are expected to obey um, orders that are illegal and lawful. If you consider them not to be legal and lawful, you're not obligated to actually uh, follow those orders. I always thought that if it came down to that, to actually launching weapons with President Clinton, that I would I would assess his mental stability. And and he was he was a guy that I I actually trusted with the the call. Uh, to whether whether you know launch or not launch. Now, President Biden gives me a whole other level to be to be fearful and and suspicious. And I don't think he is in the right frame of mind or of mind to be able to prosecute those responsibilities. And I really do believe that whoever the military aides are around President uh, Biden right now, there's going to be an Army guy, an Air Force uh, Army guy or girl, Air Force Marines, Navy Coast Guard. I cannot imagine the pressure um, with what's going on in Ukraine right now and what's going on with Putin sure. to be the military sure. aide that had to be able to get into the football and to assist the president and then go, okay, is this guy, uh, is, is he even awake? You right. know, is he coherent? Right. Uh, all those kind of things have to go, go have, they go into that equation. Trust me, they go into that equation. Uh, the liberals used to think that Trump was, was not qualified and, and capable. Trump was a, is a hell of a lot more qualified and capable than the buffoon we have right yeah. now. And I, again, as a military aide, I, I feel for these guys. Right. You know? Hey, back up, back up and tell us the really story. Back up and tell us the story of the time that President Bill Clinton did not have possession of the credit card with the code to basically the proliferation of civilization. Yeah, so... Uh, the president normally carries the the, uh, the nuclear codes. They're a, a credit card sized document. Uh, the president carries those on his or her uh, person, so in their pants pocket, their coat pocket. And then the military aide, me at the time, uh, is the guy that has everything else that the president needs to make those decisions. No, ma- no matter if we're on Air Force One or we're on a, in a hotel in Africa or we're in China, um, the ability to reach out and make those decisions is real. Um, and President Clinton, and this coincided with Monica Lewinsky. So Monica Lewinsky had, uh, in fact, I don't know how much time we have. Let me, let me tell this story about how President Clinton actually lost the codes. If we if we have about yeah, five seconds, do it. You've got the time. So uh, <laughs> okay. So as the military aide, um, I had to occasionally brief and answer questions from President Clinton. And so on this particular day. Um, this was January of 1997. It was the same day of the um, of, of President Clinton's um, his annual address to Congress. Uh, and uh, I was walking in. I was the first person on a schedule, and I was walking in to give him a briefing and just answer any questions he might have about military operations. And I remember walking past. So Betty Curry was President Clinton's military. I mean, was President Clinton's uh, secretary. She had the uh, she had the desk. 
right outside the, uh, the Oval Office. So she was in the outer Oval Office. President Clinton was in the actual Oval Office. And I'm walking in that morning at about 645, and I looked down at the Washington Post that was on Betty Curry's desk, and she wasn't there yet. And it said, the, the headline on the top fold said, Sex Scandal Rocks White House. And I knew, okay, this is not a great day. And I knew, I knew Monica. Uh, I'd seen her around a lot. I talked to Secret Service agents. I knew what was going on. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a secret. And so I walk into President Clinton just to give him this briefing, and I can see he's got his head in his hands. Uh, he, uh, he's been up all night. He, he's uh, just uh, exhausted. You could tell he's, he knows he's been caught. And I walk in and I say, sir, I know this is not a great time. Uh, but if, yeah, if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. And while I'm here, if you don't mind, I just need to confirm that you have the, the nuclear codes. Uh, and he said, and he, he said, no, no questions today. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm not having a good day. Uh, maybe you can come back later. And I said, well, do you have the nuclear codes? And he said, no, I, I don't know where they are. Uh, but I left them upstairs. We'll try to find them. And so we did, we searched the white house upside down. We turned the white house upside down. And uh, we never did find him. And so I went to President Clinton uh, that afternoon and, and kind of forced him to say, you know, I, sir, I said, how long has it been since you've seen him? And he couldn't remember whether it had been days, weeks, months. Um, who knows how long? You could so not the find the code, Buzz. No. <laughs> and the most important thing, Monica, the most important uh, on, on his mind, the most important thing was he said, please make sure this story doesn't get to the press. And I said, yes, sir, I won't. I won't. I'll, I'll make sure it doesn't get to the press. And then it didn't get to the press until I wrote my book in 2003. <laughs> and it's all in there. And you're like, like holy this. crap, you guys, you're not going to believe how close we were. So, you know, it's like, yes. what do you roll it up in a cigar? I mean, like, what do we, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, we, I mean, you know, we never, <laughs> yeah, we never could find it. And, you know, we, and again, the, the, oh. I guess the, the takeaway story, the takeaway story here is, is, in a, you know, as an American military and American government, we didn't have the ability to respond with nuclear weapons if we had been attacked by China or Russia or whomever. We just didn't have the ability. And he was more concerned about yeah. the story not making it on the Washington, the Washington Post than he was about the fact that America's national security sure. was in jeopardy. Well, and to hear you tell the stories of Hillary, I would imagine <laughs> he was slightly more afraid of her than he was the press. So, uh, oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Well, and I think probably, and, and you can tell us all about that, your tenure with them ultimately leads you to 2016 when you are a surrogate for President Trump. But I want to, but I want to, I want to keep rolling with kind of like going the sequence here of, you know, you, you leave your tenure there. What I thought was really profound to me is that here you are usually a person flying the skies, right? The, the, you, you are, you, you are protecting our men and women and, uh, and curating freedom for others from, you know, a, a, a 20,000 foot view. And you decide I'm going to come down and embed. And tell us about your story on the ground in, in, uh, in Iraq. And, uh, and what you saw, like what, what was going through your mind, like in your heart and your soul? Uh, because I didn't, I didn't get that far into it and I'd much rather hear it from you than read it from the pages. Did I lose you? I think we may have actually did buzz freeze up on us. <laughs> oh no. Come back to us, buzz. Hey, did, sorry. No worry. Do we have a hook? Do we have a <laughs> Hook up, hiccup. You know I've got Bill Clinton blue dresses and cigars on the brain now. I can't even focus. <laughs> so, are monitoring, 
the Clintons are monitoring this. They shut us down. There. I have no doubt because you tagged them on Twitter. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> So, so listen, okay, so what, did you hear what I asked you? Did you hear the question? Probably not. It's okay. Uh, About embedding? About embedding. Yes. Yes, that was so fascinating. uh, Please walk uh, us through that. Yeah, so I retired from the Air Force in 2001. I I, I got married um, and we had um, a child with some health issues. So we retired from the Air Force in 2001. I wrote Dereliction of Duty in 2003. That was the New York Times bestseller. I was also flying commercially as an airline pilot for Delta Airlines. And I decided, hey, I was hearing all this this discussion with my buddies that were still active duty uh, and were stationed in Iraq, um, you know, 2003, 2004 timeframe. And they were telling me, you know, the U.S. news coverage is not accurate. Um, you know, we're over here. We're living this life. And and what they're saying about Bush and WMDs and all, you know, and, and Abu Ghraib and atrocities, it's just, they, they said it's just not true. So I said, well, let me come over and take a look. They give me a press pass because I had written uh, books before. And uh, I embedded myself uh, right outside of, uh, I was actually right outside the red zone in Baghdad uh, at a base called Camp Liberty. Uh, near the airport and uh, spent some time with army navy air force and marines and um, this is 2005 right so things are not going well in iraq uh, according to uh, democrats and the mainstream media they're actually going a lot better than was being told which is why i went over there and i and i interviewed monica probably 450 soldiers sailors airmen and marines and asked them i said you know are we are, are, is us being over here worthwhile? Uh, and, and do you see, you know, do you see success? And I only had one person out of those 450 that told me that it was a waste of time and he wanted to go home. Wow. Um, so yeah, I think it was just, it was eye opening. So I wrote a book called war crimes based on that. And it's not war crimes that, uh, focuses on our soldiers. It's war crimes that I focus on our Democrats, our, you know, our democratic politicians, our mainstream media, our, our academia, our, you know, our, our academics sure. Uh, sure. across the nation, um, popular culture, Hollywood, uh, and, and of course journalism. You know, and I talk about how, and, and I talk about how all these factors undermine uh, our, our military, and and today it's it's even worse because our own government is undermining our military right. and they're doing it uh, through the woke culture of the Pentagon. And, and we're having a really hard time now retaining soldiers and sailors and airmen. And that's why it's because we are forcing people, the good people we're forcing them out and we're keeping the woke uh, cultural warriors in. And that's not sure. a good, that's not a recipe for success. Sure. I may be jumping ahead of myself, but I have to ask this. Is there, because it sure does seem prolific, uh, I mean the the infiltration of of this culture via uh, Pentagon, um, the, what I refer to as the fourth branch of government. Uh, you know this whole military industrial complex. Um, I, right. you know what I mean. Uh, so, is there a way to turn this around at this point? I mean, how, how do you? You know, President Trump's uh, tagline was "Drain the swamp." Right. To me, this is an ocean. 
it's not even a swamp anymore. And, but I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's kind of like looking in my side view mirror that tells me that, you know, things in the mirror may appear bigger or closer than they really are. So I don't know if it's because there are so, there are a few bad actors who have set the stage for so many years that now we are on the eve of this nuclear madness globally. And it just feels like there's a lot of them. Yeah, and let me let me just I'm going to address the the military industrial complex okay. complex situation in a second. But let me let me talk about the actual nuclear nuclear threat. Sure. I believe I'm a kid, I'm a boomer, so I was raised uh, you know, during the Cold War, the early years of the Cold War, when we were in elementary schools diving under desks, you know, pretending that we were or you know, exercising and and um planning for us to be you know, potentially bombed by the Soviet Union. So I, I'm a kid that grew up in that generation. Right. And then I carried the nuclear football. And then I flew against the, you know, the Russians in the Cold War. So I did all of those things. So I have a very real appreciation for um, just how horrible nuclear weapons can be. Right. Uh, and this is the closest I've ever felt uh, to an actual threat. Wow. Okay. Is that Tell us why is it is it because of who's in the in office? Is it because you see the chessboard for what it is? Is it because of all of the posturing and bloviating? Uh, is it because of certain alliances because between China and Russia? Uh, you know, and what the Saudis have now uh, well possibly decided what they're going to do and no longer, uh, I believe, utilizing the dollar with regard to oil. Um, what is it exactly that has you awake at night and more concerned than you've ever been before? Did I just lose you again? You keep freezing it. All right, Hillary Clinton, get off of my airwaves in the name of Jesus. I got a broadcast to do. We got stuff to talk about. <laughs> so uh, there you are. <laughs> We've got a delay. Okay. I can see somebody, NSA, CIA, whoever's on my airwaves right now, could y'all just step off for a second <laughs> so we can finish this broadcast. Buzz will be right back. So, wow, you guys, that's pretty profound. Here's someone who's actually gone through being, I did, that was before my time. The only time we got under a desk or went out into the hall was for tornadoes, right? But you're talking about someone who has been a part of the military industrial complex, but one of the good guys, um, and, and who, who lived through this, you know, terror and dread that a generation of ours actually did survive and live through, who is now more afraid than he's ever been. So, okay, you're back with us. All right. So yeah. Why, why now? What is it that has you this dread? I just think that, yeah, I just think that, I mean, the fact that Putin invaded Ukraine shows that he's he's an irrational actor, number one. Um, I think he's probably got some mental issues, number two. And I think that and he's losing, number three. I mean, he's losing the war right now. And I, I have a feeling that if we back him into, into a corner, uh, he's not... He's not going to launch intercontinental ballistic missiles at the United States of America, but what he is going to do, probably, possibly, not probably, possibly, is use tactical nuclear weapons in and around uh, Kiev and, and parts of Ukraine, and in and, and see that he's being very careful so far. But if he does anything that in, in, you know is an incursion on Poland. Um, you know, the other, the NATO countries that, that, sure. that surround Hungary, the NATO countries that surround uh, Ukraine, 
NATO is going to have to kick in Article Five, and then they're going to go after them. And that, you know, we've got right. we've got nuclear power on the NATO side too. I mean, we you know, there's right. a lot there's a lot of countries in NATO that have nukes. But they so know. I, oh, so I, I pray. Right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it was a delay. I was going to play Nancy Pelosi uh, giving us her drunken take on exactly <laughs> what Putin is up to right now. So hold that thought and let's let's take a moment for uh, to hear from Nancy. Here we go. We can't go there. Uh, Putin is trying to bait the trap so that uh, we go in, and that's the beginning. Could be the beginning of World War Three. Uh, Putin totally irresponsible using weapons that are not allowed under the Geneva Convention. Putin, who uh, threatens use of chemical weapons, um, nuclear, and the rest. So they know that we can't, but it's the ask. Now, he was uh, this morning more, let's, if we can't have an, if we can't have a no-fly zone, let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to come in. No, 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 no. This morning he was less on the on the ask for the um, uh, the policy, more on let us do it, help us get the planes. But also there is a school of thought that thinks the anti-aircraft missiles and the rest are a very important way. Myself, when I see that that those tanks, that forty miles of tanks. I'd like to take out those tanks. I mean, I, I think that air co- uh, them having more planes might be useful, but that I'm not a, a military str- strategist. Clearly. But I'm not a military strategist. Clearly, Nancy. Clearly, hon. Clearly. <laughs> so that's Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Straight live from Vodka Nation, <laughs> apparently. Uh, thank you. That's compliments of the AP. Uh, yeah. So yes, that's that. That is what scares me. That's what you know. What can I tell you? Something, Buzz. It's not even uh, uh, Putin's uh, insanity. It's not his ego. Uh, it's it's our team. It's our country that keeps me up at night. It's not even him. It, yeah. It's you know what I mean. Well, if we. You're cutting up on us. If President Trump, our commander in chief, would not have this base sheer ineptitude, sure. And you know, and then when you send Kamala Harris over there, come tackles tackles about refugees, uh, you know, on the scale refugee um, on the scale of World War II, we send blithering idiot over there, and she can't even she can't even form a complete sentence. Now, so now you know Biden's talking about going over next week. I just hope there's still a Ukraine next week. No kidding. You know, there might not be a Ukraine. He's, he's going to go over. And, he's going to go over and talk to NATO about you know uh, Russia Ukraine relations. They're not, not. There might not even be a Ukraine in a week or two weeks from now. Right. So I mean, it's just being handled. You know, it's just it's just opening up the playbook for Putin. Just opening it up. You sure. Know, I, you know, I um, I was one of the first. That was the second Air Force, U.S. Air Force officer to ever land in Ukraine after the uh, Iron Curtain came down. So this was 1993, I believe it was. Um, and uh, the, I, the people were – and, you know, this You're right. over there. There you are. Sorry. Yeah, your, your transmission, your comms are a little sketchy there, Buzz. 
I think it's because Hillary's got like a drone probably so circling your home. It's okay. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Whatever. It's all good. We're good. Yeah, <laughs> okay, go ahead. You were you were the first person, uh, second pilot to land there. Is that correct? Is that where you, that was yeah, where, after okay. the, the, the uh, Yeah. After the Cold War basically was coming to a close and the Iron Curtain collapsed and right. the Soviet Union freed freed up countries like Ukraine, the Ukrainian Air Force and us had a, uh, U.S. Air Force had a, a joint um, exercise, and we were, I was. Come back to us, Buzz. Do another flyby. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> there you are. Okay. Whatever you're doing, keep doing that. <laughs> Until then. Uh, I, I can, there you are. There you are. <laughs> okay. You know what it is? It's Los Angeles. That's what you get for living in Los Angeles, buzz. <laughs> so you know what? It pro- it's probably, it's probably Jerry Brown <laughs> and, and, uh, and Gavin Newsom. Right. And the fact that we just took our masks off, the tech, fact we just took our masks off around here is stunning enough, but there, we have brownouts and oh, yeah. we can't even pay. I mean, take can't pay his electricity bills and it's a disaster out here. Tell me about it. My daughter graduated from USC and I'm like, thank God she fled right before everything went really nuts. So I'm very familiar with Los Angeles, very familiar with California. And I got to tell you, I am very sad for that country because it really is a total, it's a different planet, I think, from the rest of the states. Uh, but, it, but it grieves me. The <laughs> politics there grieve me. And thank God there are people like you who actually still reside there. Uh, I think my friend Nick Searcy just now bought a new place, an additional place to flee uh, California in Tennessee. So you have a lot, you have a lot of uh, California flight happening right now, if you will. Um, you know, let me ask you something. You've said that you're, you are, you're up at night uh, like you never have been before because of really, to me, it sounds like it's, you know, it's just kind of this hodgepodge of, of this perfect storm that, that has been brewing. Like a lot of people think that this is just new, right? Like, oh, whoops, whoopsie, there's Biden. Whoopsie, Biden's now elected. And, um, and, and, oh, wow, look at Putin acting exactly like everybody thought he would. Shocking, right? And, oh, wow, there's China encroaching upon Taiwan. And, and, you know, it, it, then there's the Saudis and then there's, uh, 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 Turkey. You know, I mean, the, the, all of the players, like you were talking about President Trump whenever he was in office, basically keeping everyone on their toes, uh, because he knew. He understood the the mind games that needed to be played, the posturing that needed to be played, uh, his form of diplomacy, right? Which which thankfully uh, is far superior on the landscape of geopolitics than it is Twitter. Fair enough. But how many of us are really wishing for those mean tweets right now? But I got to tell you, some people think your book does a very good. An excerpt from one of your books does a very good job of reminding us that the Democrats have set this stage, and not only the Democrats, but Republicans that have been embedded with them uh, for decades, right? And for some Americans, this is some new phenomenon that Democrats don't like America. Like, they can't believe it. And because that's what I see in their narratives online, is just this consistent, um, well, 
uh, like almost like it's new. Like, like, well, they just, you know, they hate America. They hate America. I'm like, well, they've always hated America. Like, this is nothing new. They've hated freedom. How do we know that? Because they were not the party of the abolitionists. So, you know, what do you say to the Americans who are kind of surprised by what's happening right now? And, uh, and, and what, what can Americans do? What, what are you telling people to do when you're out running for office? You know, what were you going to do as a United States congressman? What were you? Oh, I think we lost him entirely at that point. Well, so there you go. Buzz, if you're watching on Twitter, <laughs> I'm still rolling. But those are my questions. Uh, and, I, and those are questions that come from you guys as well. This is not new. The hatred of America and American ideals is not foreign to, no pun intended, to the Democrat Party, to Democrat values. It's just not. And now we're seeing it at just a massive scale. So I'm going to see if we can't get Buzz back in here in just a minute. Um, but right now we're having a few technical difficulties. So I'm going to, oh, hold on. I think we got him back. I think we got him back. Coming up. That's what you guys get for living out in electric car country. <laughs> So trying to run everything on solar panels. (laughs) Okay. You back with us? I see your face. Yeah, I think so. There you are. Yes. Okay. So I don't know what part of my rant you heard, (laughs) what you didn't, but here we are. (laughs) So uh, go back to you being scared to death. And what I'm, what I'm saying is I was, (laughs) I was, I was quoting and I'm going to shut up because while we have you, I want you to talk. (laughs) So there you go. The show is all yours, Buzz. Hit it. Okay, hopefully I'll be I'll be here a little bit longer, guys. I apologize. <laughs> You're it good. Is probably California, and we did pay our my my family did pay our power bill, so it's not us. It's <laughs> Gavin Newsom. So anyway, uh, so the reason why I'm concerned is because um, I think we've got a president, commander in chief, who's just shown uh, a complete lack of willingness to get involved and have have a a backbone. Uh, I think Putin's losing uh, so far. And uh, I think that he's he's insane. And uh, he'll I think if we push him, if we put him in a corner or or force him into a corner, he'll do what he needs to do to possibly not uh, possibly save face and not lose this war. And, you know, it really is as a military guy and a military former military planner. It's really amazing to me that that we didn't have a plan, that the U.S. didn't have a plan, that NATO didn't have a plan, the EU didn't have a plan uh, so that Putin. after. After all these months of building up to 180,000 troops, uh, we didn't have a plan for what would happen when he actually crossed the border, which is what he did. We, I think we, we all thought, a lot of us thought, that he'll stop in the, in the outer region, Donbass region. Uh, and again, I've, I've been to Ukraine, lovely people, beautiful country. Uh, but I think we all thought Putin would stop uh, just on the uh, kind of the eastern extremities of, of uh, Ukraine. But he's going all the way in. Uh, he's actually pushing operations up against Poland right now. And again, so the big thing for the listeners and the watchers here is um, the, NATO, the NATO treaty says that if any NATO country is attacked in any way, shape, or form, that the other. Buzz, Russia I'm buying you a new internet service. <laughs> 
I still break it up. <laughs> you are, but it's okay. We're going to get there. We're going to cross the finish line together because I'm not a quitter <laughs> and neither are you. So, so, hey, so I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you, have, have me on again, Monica, and I'll, I'll make sure we upgrade the scrap. <laughs> I've never had a problem like this, so I'll, I'll make sure. That's what you get for tagging Bill and Hillary earlier today right. about my show. I'm just telling you. Yeah, you know, I keep expecting them to walk into the house right here. Any moment. <laughs> I've, been, I've been expecting them to go after me for about 25 years. I was going to say, I'm su- you know, I'm glad you're still with us, but there's a little part of yeah. me that's a little surprised. I'm not going to lie, especially I'm after surprised. your books. I'm actually surprised. I'm actually surprised too. I mean, I really am. They, when my first book came out, they did go after me in the local pr- and in the, in the pr- national press. Um, and I just challenged them to a debate and they shut up and I haven't heard a word from them since then. I will tell you this also, Monica, the Christmas cards stopped coming when that first book came out. I used to get Clinton <laughs> Christmas cards and, and I, and they stopped when collection duty came out, Christmas cards stopped. Yeah. So I would you know, imagine if Bill, if Bill if Bill were to walk in here right now, he would probably he'd probably give me a hug. If Hillary were to walk in my home right now, she'd probably cut my heart out. That's the difference between those two. <laughs> and feed it to Bill. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly right. yeah, well, there's something about him that's actually extremely likable. I got to tell you, though, so this was pretty powerful, backing up for just a second. Uh, you were talking about a young lady who had, you were, who had accused the president at the time of um, sexually molesting her on air force one and you described it as the toughest moment of your career after all of the missions that you've flown after all of the men that you've commanded all of your responsibility that was your toughest moment yeah wow but he did own it he well he sort of owned it so for your for the viewers um, and listeners, uh, President Clinton sexually assaulted an Air Force uh, flight attendant on board Air Force One coming home from a, a long European trip. And I was on the airplane uh, with I was the military aide with President Clinton when that happened. I didn't know about it on, on during the flight. I got back to the White House and the Air Force One chief pilot, a, a good friend of mine at the time, Colonel Mark Donnelly, called me in my bedroom in the White House. Now you now you know your internet service is going to go out. So we're going to give you a minute to circle back in the words of Jen. But you have officially frozen. There you are. There you are. Okay, go for it. Oh. So you were pulled out of bed, told about the situation. And I'm frozen again. There you are. You no, no, I have your audio. Your face may be, may be okay. Botoxed, but I have your voice, so go okay. for it. <laughs> face is not good. You ought to send me kind of like a um, an album of, of these screen freezes just so I can laugh at myself when this is all said and done. Uh, I absolutely <laughs> I absolutely I will. like a total idiot. So, no, you're you, know who will, you know who will really enjoy it, Monica? My wife will really enjoy it. So don't even send it to me. Just send it to her. She'll have it. I absolutely will. It's great. I mean, if you cannot oh, laugh during these times, you're just going to drive off a cliff. I'm just telling you. No, I'm you trying are. to. I'm trying to keep my audience from driving off cliffs. So yeah. this is good. This is good. Okay. So ultimately, let me, though, let me get this story in real yeah. Quick. Yeah, let me get this story in real quick. So 
the Air Force One chief pilot called me, uh, Colonel Donnelly. He said, we have a problem. Um, President Clinton uh, sexually molested one of the Air Force One flight attendants. Flight attendants. All the Air Force One flight attendants are enlisted personnel in the Air Force. I knew her personally. Uh, she was a staff sergeant. Uh, and I said, okay, Mark, how does she want to handle it? And he said, she doesn't want to report it to Air Force channels. She doesn't want it to get to the press. She just wants an apology from President Clinton. So the next morning, Monica, I had to walk down the hall from my, my, my office to the Oval Office and tell the commander in chief that, that, that I knew what, what he had done wow. and he needed to, he needed to apologize. And so he, he was very non-contrite. He basically said, okay, what does she want? And I said, she wants an apology. He said, okay, we'll arrange it next time we're on Air Force One. So the two weeks later, I got him together on Air Force One, and he, he and his what he said was, "I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings." Uh, he didn't know, he didn't really own it. I'm sorry uh, if you didn't like my she, advances. Like that's a typical narcissistic apology. <laughs> I'm sorry exactly if you took my fondling the wrong way. <laughs> so exactly. exactly. Wow. And think about it. You know, she she was a young uh, young Air Force staff sergeant, married, and had two young children at home. She didn't want to be the next Paula Jones yeah. or Monica Lewinsky. Sure, you know she she was just trying to be a mom and and have a career in the Air Force. And again, that's why it was so hard right. uh, because you know I knew how he if he had been in the in the U.S. Air Force and had done that, he would be breaking rocks in Fort Leavenworth right now. Right, uh, but he was the president of the United States and he got away with it and. And that's another reason why I was compelled to write this book, because, again, I don't this is not a kiss and tell book. This is a guy that's I talk about a commander in chief who's sure. not a commander in chief. And I think we've got another one in President Biden. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Speaking of. OK, well, while I have you. OK, there are some people like you said that that it, you almost sound like we got caught off guard. Okay. As someone who is a military strategist, you're a planner, right? And, and, but I've heard you say it's almost as if, uh, we're, woo, surprise, right? I am not of that theory. I, I'm not of that school. I have never assigned the value of incompetence to this administration or any other administration for that matter, but certainly not President Trump's with the exception of a few people who are still around him. Um, but right. I do not assign incompetence or whoopsie or wow, we didn't see that coming. So I, I kind of come from the theory of there is this fourth branch of government that knows exactly what is going on, uh, knew exactly what was going on in Afghanistan, knows exactly what's going on now. And so how do you, how do you, how do you account for the globalist agenda in alignment with what's happening? Because it seems like it's all falling into place. Oh, I, and I, and I, I agree with that. I think it is. Okay. I think that this, you know, there's, you know, when I was in the when I was at the White House, I realized that, that there was uh, a swamp, and because I, I think the Clintons uh, were largely responsible for being in that swamp, and and, uh, and think that during the Obama years it just got way worse, and and I and I think that President Trump uh, was right on when he called it a swamp, I don't think he understood just nearly how deep it, it is. Right. And it was, and I don't think he anticipated there'd be almost equally as many Republicans yeah. fighting him as there were Democrats. Yes. I, th- I thought he, I think he thought there'd be more allies. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and I, it just didn't happen. I mean, he was the right guy for the right time. 
and then he got pushed out. And I, you know, I just think that we cannot follow the path, which is why I ran for Congress, quite frankly. We cannot follow that same path and have success in this country. Right. Um, we have got to uh, we've got to rip out the roots of some of this stuff. I mean, the roots are like the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and the um, the Dick Lindsey Durbin's, Graham, but also the McConnell's. The Lindsey Graham's and the McConnell's yes. and the Kinzinger's. I mean, those are all, those guys are all as corrupt as hell. Yes. And, uh, and I think that, you know, and that's why I ran and I, and I did well, but we ran up against the guy that could spend 2.3 million and we spent 0.3 million. So, okay. uh, and we, 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 we were, we had, we did have a great campaign, but it was all grassroots and no GOP support. And I think that's, that's can you believe that here you are a national treasure. You are a national hero, a decorated war veteran, and the GOP does not support you. I mean, if that is not the greatest indictment this side of history, I don't know what is against the GOP. I tell my audience regularly, quit sending them money. Do not send them a dime. You need to be giving money directly to candidates in their campaigns. Do not send them money. Yes. I mean, that just incenses me to hear do you not, say that. You know, do not, if you, you know, I, um, as a candidate, I would say exactly that. And I would say, do not give the money to Kevin McCarthy. Give it right to the candidate. And because Kevin McCarthy does his thing where he's, he's you know, he's picking and choosing who he's going to endorse and who he's not. And he's funding the money to the people that he wants. And, you know, it's, that's not the way the process is supposed to work. It's supposed right. to be. In your particular congressional district, you you elect your your representative, not some idiot, you know, that's right. who who works in Washington D.C. but also is from California. I right. mean, Georgia should be Georgia, California should be California, and there shouldn't be one guy trying to pick and choose where the money goes. Yeah, thank you for that, because I hear often, you know, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to wreck it for the whole party. No, she's not actually. She's not going to wreck it for her district, although it has been gerrymandered at this point. Thanks, Georgia legislature. But she's not going to wreck it for for the people who voted for her hands down, who would continue to vote for her and who will always vote for her. Uh, So, But she may not be the perfect Republican candidate somewhere else across the country. That's not how it works. Thank you so much for saying that because I think people need to be reminded of that. You, because you know what's interesting is that as much as we're all railing against like this, this soup that, that, that the globalists want to put us in, this homogenization effort at large, I really feel like the party and Americans really are, um, kind of swimming in this, in, in this sea of a soup sandwich called, uh, you know, the new politics, the new way and, and the, the whole partisanship of, well, the Republicans have to save the day, the Republican Party, the Democrat Party. And I'm like, these systems are made up of you as voters. So quit right. looking to the party right. to save your ass. Right. And, you know, I think that our founders are probably so upset with where we've come to in this country. And it's, uh, again, Monica, it's on both sides. Sure. I mean, I, I can call out as many Republicans as I can call out Democrats. Well, that's probably not true. I can call out more Democrats, <laughs> but there's a lot of right. that, that I could definitely call out. In uh, in in that you know that's what I ran into. It, it was you know the re, the Republican Party um, is so lukewarm right now. The state of California Republican Party has just got a lot of problems, 
and the national GOP has got problems too, and, and probably the, the wrong leadership. Um, and but I don't want people to give up. I mean, I think that people need to understand that I, I spoke. Well, actually, I moderated a, a district attorney, a local district attorney, and sheriff debate uh, over the weekend. This past weekend down here in Ventura County. And we had 450 people show up on a very hot day uh, and sit there for four hours listening and asking questions of these candidates. And I thought, you know what? This is what it's supposed to be. Sure. Um, and they were candidates from both sides. It wasn't Republic. It was Republican and Democrat on both sides. So, so for both races. And we didn't allow catcalling. We didn't allow, um, you know, any kind of protest. We just, we just said, OK, we're here to listen to these gentlemen, listen to them. Let, ask him questions, and I moderated. And it got a little heated, but it was a lot of fun. Sure. And I remember saying, telling everybody, you know, hey, this is what it's all about, guys. You know, don't get your politics from Twitter. Don't get your well, except for yours and mine. <laughs> exactly. Present company excluded. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we're, the, we're the only two that matter. Everybody else, uh, don't worry about them. Exactly. Thank but, you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, of course, we we've got the proven. We have all the answers. We And I, you know what? That's how I promoted this show. I was like, Buzz is coming on because we have all the answers. If we went to lunch and had a couple glasses of wine, (laughs) there would be no world conflict. None whatsoever. And that swamp, I'd be like, give me that hairball, buddy, because that swamp drain is coming out. We got this. Exactly. Yes. So with that, I have a question and I know you're on a time, you're on a time crunch here. So here's a question. Do you believe we can actually have an honest and fair election in, in these midterms? No. Oh, I'm flying to California and I'm buying the first glass of wine. That's it. Okay. Really? Why? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Why? I love it. Well, multiple, for multiple reasons, but I can tell you in California, for example, I'm a, I'm a plaintiff where I'm one of thir- uh, 13 can- former candidates, current candidates that are suing California, not to overturn anything. We're not going back and trying to rebuild 2020, but what we're suing about is, is accountability, transparency. Um, and we, uh, we're suing Gavin Newsom and we're suing the, suing the secretary of state and, uh, and we're suing individual counties because we don't, we can't, as a candidate, for example, this is this is uh, unbelievable to me. So I voted in my election in Sacramento County. So I was running for California 7, I, and I voted for myself, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and to, as we talk today, Monica, my vote has not been counted. Two years later, my vote has not been counted. And wow. So it shows you that there's no accounting. Now, if I, if I go in and it, uh, to my thing it says i'm a registered voter says where i you know my address and everything and it says and i if i click on how did i vote last time it says didn't vote not tabulated really so yeah and i'm just thinking there's a lot of things dropping through the cracks across across i know georgia's had some issues just a few Uh, california has issues yeah yeah i mean we have the same we have the same issues basically it's it's the machines and it's uh, the ballots that arrive at three o'clock in the morning. And, you sure. know, I, I'm not sure what Georgia's current state law is, but in California, I got a thing today in California that basically allows me about, in fact, I'll show it to you. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, while you're looking for that, let me tell you, the, you know what, Buzz? It doesn't matter. Mail thing, yeah. It doesn't matter what our state laws yeah. are because it we don't matter. live by them. 
So it doesn't matter yeah. what Georgia state laws are because we don't execute them. We don't live by them. We did not well, do that in 2020. I have zero expectation that we will do it during the midterms or 2024. Yeah. All right. So what does your card say? I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. What's just, it just gives, gives me basically about a year to vote. <laughs> if I want to do it by mail or, <laughs> or, 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 you're better off sending that to the North Pole addressed to Santa and Mrs. Claus. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my God, yeah. It basically says you can vote in whenever you want to. Exactly. So, um, and then the sure. Democrats are like, you don't give us enough time. <laughs> and this is all voter, you know. Oh, know. Oh. This, is voter, this, is vote, this is voter suppression, right? Right. So you start voting basically any time. Right. And you don't have to vote in person. Right. You don't have to even show an ID. Yeah, so basically, game on. Yeah, exactly. So that's how California rules. So I, I tell people yeah. to, like you said, people have to show up. Okay, right now there's training going on in Georgia for how to be a poll worker. Of course, I had to get a little sassy about that today on Twitter and remind the Democrats that that does not involve a g-string. So because we do, the Democrats in Georgia incorporate every industry, and and not limited to uh, strippers and strip clubs and discounts and pizzas and hot dogs oh, yeah. and corn dogs and cokes and all uh, and. Fur bus rides through the city to actually collect your votes and to collect you and to go get grandmama and them. I mean, it's unbelievable what happened, the shenanigans, the showdown that goes down in the state of Georgia with regard to elections. And then you've got people like Stacey Abrams who will tell you until Jesus returns that there's voter suppression and people believe it. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's just their buzzwords, voter suppression. Yeah. And my question to anybody, really, I mean, whether you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent, Green Party, whatever, who is being suppressed? You tell me exactly who in this country is being suppressed. Um, in, in California, we have ballot harvesting. Yep. Everybody, I mean, if you're these people go into they go into um, you know senior citizens homes with blank ballots and get you know they they fill them out and they get these people to sign them and they throw them in the hopper and they get counted and, sure um and we're trying to get that we're trying to get that uh declared illegal in, in california because it's been way abused i mean it's just been um fraudulently abused over sure. and over and over we have again. surveillance so, videos buzz sure. of people shoveling ballots geo tracking and videos of folks shovel shoving like handfuls of ballots into ballot boxes over yep. and over and over again. And so, yes, I want, I would do want to, I would probably never correct you otherwise, sir, but I, but I am a wordsmith. <laughs> and so this is important to me. So it's not just okay. a buzzword. And you know why? Because these jack legs have utilized over $400 million worth of buzzwords in order to affect the elections of 2020 all over this country. So whenever I think about that, you know, suppression, suppression, the Democrats are notorious for utilizing verbiage in order to get what it is they want passed, in order to, uh, you know, roll over nations including but not limited to our own and i've lost you again and that's okay because i'm on a rant and i'm really good at ranting by myself thank you to talk radio <laughs> and we'll just wait for you to return because i know you're coming back and again pretty sure either hillary bill the cia somebody is tapped into buzz's line <laughs> and his ability to stay connected to this program today i'm honored i'm honored you know what it's so funny i get emails from you guys and you're like how do you know so much? Are you part of the, the fourth branch of government? 
I'm like, do I look like I'm part of the fourth branch of government? No, I'm not. So let's just clarify that. I'm not. But with regard to voter suppression and words, I mean, that's what they do. That's how they get ahead. That's how they move the ball down the field is with words. That is a, it, it, Republicans are always carrying the water cooler, right? Why is that? We're like, oh, well, we, we didn't know they were going to use the law against us. Really? When has that ever not been a thing? When has that ever not been a strategy of the left? You know, and I haven't even been at this for that long, Ugh, comparatively speaking. But I th- you know what? So to recap, because I don't know if we're going to get buzz back. <laughs> and if you're watching this buzz, you owe me. You owe me the first bottle of wine in California whenever I come out. <laughs> Matter of fact, you should just fly to the peach state and forget about wine. <laughs> Because I'm not drinking California wine as it is, because all that stuff's filled with sulfites. But you can come down here and have you a good old-fashioned glass of bourbon. How about that? So Buzz went on to uh, be a surrogate for President Trump in 2016 in California. Did a remarkable job. Matter of fact, I know of a couple of folks who were responsible for that in California uh, who did a remarkable job. And so clearly, you know, again, if you leave with nothing else from this (laughs) uh, 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 technically challenged broadcast, let it be this, okay? Here's a man who's highly decorated, has flown in more missions than most people will ever shake a stick at, okay? He is a highly decorated war veteran. He is a he's a he is an honorable man, okay? He has been around for a minute. He remembers the Cold War. Uh he remembers getting under desks. He remembers uh, the threat of nuclear uh invasion and yet he's he was never as afraid then as he is right now. And he's probably not the only person of that generation who feels that way, but he's certainly the most decorated person that I've encountered who feels that way and expressed it here today. So, so that I don't share that with you to, uh, to cause you to panic or, or to feel like, you know, God's not provident. And, uh, in my God, if he could save us from Bill Clinton losing the nuclear codes. Can you imagine? Can you even believe that? That's probably the first time some of you have even heard that story. I I was I was astounded. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, well, no, I don't know where they are. I came in from a night of cigar smoking and blue dresses and whatever, and I have no idea where they are, right? Can you see people just just scrambling across the White House to try to find the nuclear codes? I mean, that's that's like the time, well, no, it's not, not even close because everyone's everyone's lives we're at stake across the globe. I mean, how derelict can you be? And so the first thought I had was that if there isn't a God, who saved our butts from that dude, right? I mean, anything could have happened during that time. And so for me, it was definitely evidence. Matter of fact, hold on. Do I have his, uh, do I have his book title? I think I do somewhere. Hold on. There he is. You guys should download that. Matter of fact, I fully expect my signed copy any day now, especially since we've had all these technical difficulties coming out of California. Surprising. Uh, Here's another one. Ha, conduct unbecoming, right? I mean, to have his vantage point as someone who has served this nation and comes from a family of service, by the way, uh, Buzz uh, Patterson, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Um, And to see what's happening now, 
right? I, I think it would also encourage some of you who have served to, to read his books, uh, particularly as it, as it relates to uh, Iraq, right? And what he was saying earlier, that some of you carry a lot of shame around your service uh, because of what happened in Afghanistan, which I do not believe for two seconds was a whoopsie. Oops, we failed. Didn't see that coming. Nope, you'll never convince me of that. And because I think that gives people way too much credit. It just lets them off the hook, and that's not something I'm willing to do. Not when our translators have been left behind, men and women and children, not willing to do it. And not whenever I receive your emails of despair for people who have served this nation selflessly and the families who have served with them. Remember, behind every service member is our families, right? Their communities. That if that person comes back and they feel like their life no longer matters, that affects generations. It's not just a talking point for people like me. That it affects generations, right? So as a minister, I really hope that you will take, yes, I do love the first miracle, so there. Um, I do hope that you will take the time to be encouraged by Buzz and in the stories that he tells of his time embedded as media in Iraq. They're beautiful stories of people who are so excited to vote that there was a suicide bomber who blew himself up outside of their polling stations, blew himself to pieces, and took a few people with him. And would you believe that those people believed in their ability to cast a vote for their freedom so deeply that they didn't leave? They walked over his body pieces and cast their vote. So when you allow your right to legally register and legally vote in this country if you are in that demographic that has the right to vote, whose rights have not been, um, whose rights prohibit you, I mean, whose, whose decisions prohibit you, whether you're a felon uh, who prohibit you from, from voting. I want you to think about that. You know, Republicans count on rainy days. You know why? Because historically, when it comes to an election day, Democrats will not get out in the rain. Why do you think they have to be incentivized? Why do you think they're incentivized by and with anger and rage and equity conversations and despair and disparity? Why do you think that works? Why do you think there's not an intrinsic value to the left's and people who are of the left persuasion ideologically and certainly sociopolitically? Why do you think that is? Is it because people on the right haven't taken the time to actually evangelize a nation filled with political refugees? I think so. We've never had to step over brain matter of a suicide bomber at one of our polling stations. Yet people count on others not showing up to vote because it's raining. 
That's pretty awful. It's pretty telling about us. And I'm not one to shame my country. I'm not. But I'm a very sober-minded individual. And I call things exactly as they are. And I don't always get it right. But the beauty of having the discerning power of God and the Holy Spirit is that you do see things that others don't. And that's very difficult sometimes. It's also a blessing. Because if you use it to encourage people instead of inciting them to desperation and to violence and to rage and hopelessness and despair, right, you bring people out to the other side. And it's been a real honor to be here with you today with someone who has dedicated his life selflessly, um, who is an absolute riot, wicked sense of humor, cannot wait to have him back on. And I think I'm probably just going to have to fly out there and do an in-person interview, which I am actually in the process of setting up more of my brand to be able to do exactly that. Because I'm looking forward to having candid Monica conversations with people who have made a difference in this country and people just like you, because you make a difference in this country. Your vote does matter. It may be molested. (laughs) You may have to jump through hellfire and brimstone to make it count. But I do hope that you will show up and still be part of the process. I do encourage you to do that. Thank you again for joining us today. For those of you listening by podcast, thank you for your patience. And uh, for those of you watching and streaming, thank you for being with us. I look forward to um, more time with you another day. But as of today, I'm out of here. Okay, I'm going to go enjoy a nice glass of wine. (laughs) Go follow Buzz Patterson if you're not already doing that. Hillary and Bill, love you. Don't want you in leadership ever again, but I do pray for you. That is the God's honest truth. I pray for both of you. Have a good night till next time. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers. Hunt for muddy puddles and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.